Hey everybody, it's Justin from the Aka Education Podcast, and before we start this week's podcast, I wanted to take a moment to promote a new podcast from my good friend Michael. Now, Michael Sanchez is the leader over at Evergreen VoiceOver. He is the guy that you hear every single week introducing our podcast before you hear that theme song. And Michael's got his own podcast coming out called The VoiceOver Junction. And it's a podcast where industry experts and thought leaders share pragmatic, concrete advice that voice actors can immediately implement in their own voiceover businesses. Each episode is going to be laser focused with a different aspect of the voiceover industry, whether it's genres, tech, auditioning, gear, business, and more. So if you're interested in voiceover work or if you just want to subscribe and help promote another podcast, go over and check out the voiceover junction and you can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, wherever you listen to this podcast. So Michael, good luck as you begin your new podcast journey. And here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Season 2. On this episode of Aka Education, Justin talks with composer Roger Emerson. With over 500 choral titles in print and over 15 million copies in circulation, Roger talks about his career as a music educator and composer, offers advice for teachers at all levels, and discusses some of the ins and outs of copyright and licensing. Let's get ready. Aka Education starts now. It's the Aka Education Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Justin Glodish with another episode of the Aka Education Podcast. It is episode 47, the second episode of season two, and here with me I have one of my favorite composers slash arrangers slash all around great guys. Uh, his name is Roger Emerson. Uh, you can find a lot of his uh, work on Hal Leonard, you know, all over. He's got over 500 titles in print, um, a lot of accolades over the course of his career. Um, Roger Emerson, thank you so much for joining me this week on the Oc Education Podcast. Oh man, thank you. It's, it is a pleasure and privilege to be here and uh, I'm just uh, I'm so glad to be asked to, to, to be here and hope I can shed some light on some topics and help some people out um, you know I love teaching uh, well of course I taught for years at all levels but I really loved middle school uh, mm. it's where I maybe had my my most success and um, I still sort of miss it this time of year although with the pandemic I'm not missing it as much as <laughs> <laughs> that's fair that's yeah. fair yeah no I actually uh, as of this recording I actually my students start back up this week so it's wow. uh, yeah it's it's coming back full circle so um with the because I'm a middle school teacher as well and uh your name you know comes up and actually your name is all over our core library not gonna lie um you and I I, I follow you on you know Facebook and, and whatnot and I see how much time and effort you put into everything that you're doing these days um but I wanted to talk to you about uh just where you have come up with some of these ideas in general on how 
we can get middle school voices to be more confident. I think yeah. middle school always tends to be that area where they're a little bit nervous, especially, um, you know, male identifying voices, yeah. you know, their voices starts to really change there. Um, what are some tried and true methods? You know, it could be warmups. It could be um, songs that you have found have worked uh, over the course of your career to really help that middle school voice. Well, you know, to give you a little background is that when I started, um, my first gig was K-8, and I was doing band and choir and general and, and guitar and uh, uh, jazz band. I mean, it, it was a great place to start, uh, you know, for starters, because mm-hmm. you could sort of do no wrong. However, <laughs> my and I was an applied vocal major. My worst ensemble was my seventh, eighth grade choir. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, oh, my gosh, um, you know, I, I'd end up with what I call the soprano alto mud ensemble. <laughs> Um, and, and it, it just took me a while to, to sort of get my, you know, my head around it. Uh, I'd been writing songs since I was in junior high school and, um, you know, I thought I was going to be a pop songwriter or a jazz guitarist or something. And, um, but I stumbled on this piece by Joyce Eilers called Brighten My Soul with Sunshine. And, you mm-hmm. know, it had this little, this was three part mixed, had this little what I call a barra tenor part that was sort of mm-hmm. F to D. And there are, there are some compromises and trade-offs that, you know, cause not every group's the same and it sh- can change mid-year. It can, <laughs> can be crazy, right. but there was something about, you know, out of my 40 voice choir of which about maybe eight to 10 were, as you say, uh, uh male identifying, mm-hmm. um, uh, I found that that most of them could sing most of her notes, and and you know she'd do a lot of instead of parallel harmony, she'd do a lot of call and response. You know, like right. you gotta brighten up my soul, brighten up my soul. That's all the guys had. Brighten up right. my soul, a little melodic riff, and it worked. And I go, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, here's here's the magic. And <laughs> and and I consciously said, you know, I'd been pitching songs to major publishers. I mean. You know, I wanted Michael <laughs> McDonald to do my tunes, you know. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and I said, you call yourself a songwriter. Now, now get busy and create something along these parameters. And so yeah. I did, uh, I did a couple of things. One was uh, Sinner Man. Oh, Sinner mm-hmm. Man, where are you going to run to? That thing. And then I did uh, a piece called First We Must Be Friends. That the, uh, and it was a sort of call and response uh, uh, first we must be friends. First we must be friends. That was the guy's part. Da 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 da. Sort of after mm-hmm. Joyce Eilers, and and it worked. And so, um, you know, when you say what works, let me let me just say this: that um, male identifying singers, mm-hmm. if they sing in the lower grades, <laughs> K four, yep. K five, it 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 really isn't much of a problem in middle school. The problem mm-hmm. occurs when they haven't used the instrument because it hasn't been the cool thing to do or things were pitched too high, which often right. happens. Uh, they just, they shut down. And so it's it's not just that the chords may or may not be thickening, uh, but you combine that with, I'm embarrassed to sing, I don't feel it's masculine enough, uh, or mm-hmm. I've been told it's not masculine, or my friends are making fun of me, and you put that together with uh, the fact they haven't used the instrument or connected, as you know, Christy Miller says, you know, it's not a problem with your voice, it's your ear, <laughs> and <laughs> and have not made that connection. Um, so uh, to get back to answering your question, um, 
you know, I, I like I like to if you have the opportunity to work with your uh, with your baritenders by themselves. Uh, that's the treat because then you can sort of experiment uh, with with little motives in in various keys to find out where their sweet spot is mm-hmm. at that point in time. Um, and oftentimes, and it was very interesting. What did I see just recently? Um, and I reposted it. Had to do with um, Henry Leck has has always advocated this, and I thought, well, that's it. Seems odd to me, but uh, vocalizing in falsetto may be easier than mm. in 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 full voice. It seems odd, but I remember when I would go in uh, once. Um, you know, I taught middle school twice the first five years and then uh, taught high school for a while and then took a hiatus when my kids were growing up then when they got to middle school went back in but but uh and when i went back in there was a the gentleman that took my place was primarily a band director but he Mm -hmm. wanted to do choir well so he'd occasionally say roger will you come and work with my guys and what Mm -hmm. i found is that if we were working on a piece where there's sort of the trade-off between the soprano altos and the baritones they would jump up and sing those parts in between you know and not even think about it because it's working with them by themselves so what mm-hmm. i would what i would encourage you know obviously you know texas is big on separating uh, tenor bass and and treble and tenor bass choirs but even if it's the last five minutes of class or the first five minutes hey guys get around the piano here and let's uh, let's do shake rattle and roll you know play a little mm-hmm. one four five blues and get them just vocalizing um nothing better than that and of course you know i did that pop warm-ups and workout book uh mm-hmm. the, the book's not not really the the most important part the cd is that has a a, a a nice youthful baritone and it moves up chromatically and i started at g below middle c and would take something like shake rattle and roll then shake rattle and roll shake rattle, go up an octave and then start at g and go down the octave so mm. the idea is the guy with the most notes wins or the baritone with the most notes wins so nice you just you just got to stay with it and you got to keep it light yeah. You know, and um, I like it. I love it because, like, in middle school, like, competition's huge. Like, oh man, we 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 can have like a day where like who can sing this phrase, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or you're playing like a game of Simon where like you start with one note and you keep adding notes and keep adding patterns and yeah. see who see which student can get the longest pattern and yeah. like they 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 eat that stuff up because they're they're really um they're really competitive at that age, which I've found so yeah. Well, and I can tell again being a, a male teacher, it's easier for a male teacher. However, I've seen some really effective uh, female teachers that, you know, it comes down to building that relationship and having them mm-hmm. trust you. And, and that takes a while. Uh, I've often said, and I'm reading some recent Facebook posts, and I really sympathize with people that go, you know, there are kids in here who don't want to be here. Now, mm-hmm. the first thing, if you, have, if you have the ability to change that paradigm, please do. We would not say, we would not say to kids, hey, you're going you're gonna to play on the basketball team, and you're going to start. You're going to be out there. And if, mm-hmm. if you're not someone who's athletically adept or you know, that kind of thing, but we do it all the time, and you know, because it becomes a scheduling thing. It's all about cl- class size and scheduling. So mm-hmm. if you end up in that situation, one of the things I say is be honest with the, with the kids. Say, hey, I know some of you, you know, didn't sign up for this. Right. And, and, and give, give them some parameters. Say, number one, I'll never embarrass you. Uh, either here in class or outside of class. And if we get down to two weeks before the concert or three weeks, whatever you want, and you're still uncomfortable, I'll give you an alternative assignment. 
Mm-hmm. But I need you to sort of go with me here. Let's let, let's have fun in here. What happens in in the choir room stays in the choir room, and, and you'd be surprised. You get a lot of kids that'll that'll go. Oh, this is this is fun, and you take the fear factor out. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I I find at that age, you know, because my my previous position, I was actually K twelve chorus. <laughs> you know, taught yeah. taught it all. <laughs> I was my own feeder, so like I knew what my third graders can handle when they were in third grade, and then I knew kind of what the progression would be by the time they got into middle school and things like that. But what I had found was that um, there were the students who once their voices started changing, that's when the classmates would kind of start teasing them a little bit more. And then it became, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun for me anymore. Um, You know, and that's, that's a common issue that a lot of us experience. Yeah. It attacks their very being the masculine, you know, I, uh, the masculinity thing, it's emasculating and, and um, you just, you know, uh, obviously I used to have, I used to have posters, you know, sports posters in my room. I used to go to Mm -hmm. their ball games and, and uh, you know, did a lot of stuff with rhythm section. You know, you got kids in your choir right now that can play and, and get a keyboard bass. If, you know, if you're doing pop stuff, make it hip Mm -hmm. to be there. And, um, yeah, so <laughs> it's a ongoing. It's it's. I say if you can teach middle school choir uh, effectively or successfully, you can teach anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, middle school is his own beast it's compared own beast. to elementary. Yeah. compared to high and, school. And, and you've really got to, you know, this is hard because um, I really enjoyed uh, their budding uh, maturity. I, mm-hmm. I I enjoyed seeing them become their own people, and I I think that the the teachers that are most effective at middle school are sort of born to dig middle school, yeah. uh, and and uh, and if you're not, then then really try and do something else that's you know that, that if you can't put up with the craziness, you know I mean because there are so many variables all the mm-hmm. time. It's always yeah. A, Crap shit. <laughs> Sorry. Right. No, no, it's fine. Um, now you mentioned, you know, trying to bring, uh, you know, pop music into into the classroom or into the choir, right. and you actually do several arrangements of of many different pop tunes. Actually, just watching the other day, you had your setup ready to go, and you've been working on something. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm just curious as to, you know, we're in the digital age now, and I'm just curious as to how your arranging process or composition process has has shifted from, you know, when you first started writing to what it is now, what's the, what's the like time constraints like now? Are you able to kind of, you know, pull out more arrangements at a quicker pace and things like that? You mean from the clay tablet days? Yeah. No, I'm not. Whoa, whoa. Yeah, I know. Well, quite frankly, I mean, realize the first, uh, first 10 years, I mean, I've been doing this, you know, over 40 years, first 10 years, of course, pencil and paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of erasing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and my first uh, uh, software was called Encore. Um, mm-hmm. I, uh, I'm reminded, I'm a Finale user, but I was I was trying to work Sabayas the other day, and I go, oh, this is sort of like Encore in the way that you input notes. But um, one of the neat things uh, about, the, about the digital uh, era and, and good software, and there are a lot of good ones out there, you know, um, mm-hmm. it's whatever you get comfortable with. Um, that's my feeling. It's like, it's like Quicken yep. or some other yeah, financial software, whatever you're familiar with or, you know, WordPerfect or whatever. But yep. the, the, the best thing it did for me is I could fearlessly move ahead in an arrangement knowing I can change the key. I can mm-hmm. move stuff around. 
Um, you know, because if you're doing it in pencil, man, you, you got, you're going you're gonna to probably sketch things first, make sure that it's right, and then, then finally notate it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been terrific. And, of course, obviously, uh, there are fewer errors because the, the editors, engravers use your actual file. Um, I'm not a great keyboard player. I'm you know, sort of a, a guitarist singer by trade, but I, I, you know, I play enough to, I chord comp and do my own mm-hmm. piano parts and do my own Same here. Yeah. Horn, horn parts and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, uh, uh, what I, uh, what I found is that, um, because I, I, I do so much playback and listen, cause I'm an aural kind of arranger. Uh, mm-hmm. there are, I've often said there are much more skilled arrangers out there. Sorry. Kirby Shaw, Darman Meter, Makoff, I could, I, mm-hmm. I, that are there. There just are uh, for mm-hmm. me, but I'm a singer, and so I try and make sure that my lines sing. Mm-hmm. And I remember very well, uh, you know, teaching and going, "Wow, that's problematic." You know, made a slight change the second time through. Why did you do that? Went by so fast. No one's going to know. All mm-hmm. you're going to do is have trouble, uh, or. Here's the pop tune, and yeah, it's tough because you want it to look easier on the page, but kids are going to pretty much sing it the way they heard it, and it's just going to mm-hmm. be problematic. So, you know, most of the time I will try and, uh, and keep it as accurate as possible, sometimes in a new key. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly, you know, it's, and again, there are trade-offs. When, right. we, when we do an SATB arrangement of pop tune, and then we'll do an SAB or maybe a three-part mix. It may not be the ideal key for middle school. Right. Um, we, we, we try and make it work the best we can, but that's where, you know, how long do we have this discovery series? And oftentimes you'll see, for instance, I just did uh, Katy Perry's Firework. Well, I did mm-hmm. it in a whole different key than the original. I found the mm-hmm. place that, oh, here's, here's where it's going to sing. For middle schoolers, and uh, and so that's the the joy of you know having a publisher like Hal Leonard that's able to do that, have the resources to do the tracks and do do practice tracks and all that discovery stuff. And uh, same thing with uh, A Million Dreams, you know, mm-hmm. Greatest Showman. Um, yep. You know, Mac did a fabulous job of the SATB and the SAB and SSA, and I did three part mix, two part. Um, that just is more in the pocket uh, for that grade level. So um, yeah. So my question, actually, because you mentioned, you know, you do an SATB arrangement and then the SAB, yeah, and then the reduction. So what, what do you, um, what goes through your mind when like, because I know that some parts are similar, but then there's like kind of like chunks of this part and this part kind of. So what, what goes through your head when you're, you're trying to make the, um, the, you know, the less voiced versions well, the thinner the thinner uh, versions. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, quite frankly, depending upon where the tenor lies in the SATB, if the tenor's not too high, it'll often work great in three part mixed. You mm-hmm. think about it, because oftentimes in pop music, you know, you're doubling the top part down the octave. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, but then there's something to be said for, well, if it's always up on C's, D's and or, you know, up in there, it gets fatiguing. Uh, can you figure out something else to do there to to make it less fatiguing? Um, 
Yeah. I mean, SAB gives us more latitude, but realize SAB and three-part mix, they're a muddy mix. In the old days, SAB was truly like a true baritone, like B-flat to B-flat or C to C. And mm-hmm. now uh, publishers and, and dealers, uh, they lump them all together. So you really ultimately have to have to take a real close look at not only where the range lies, but how melodic is that baritone part, because mm-hmm. they're going to gravitate to the melody. So, right. um, but realize you have you have uh, the hope of having it work if in fact your even your harmony part is melodic in nature, and then give them the melody where you can, you know, mm-hmm. and and make those sopranos work. <laughs> Sorry, yeah. sorry, Sopranos. Well, they always sing the melody, you know. And, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, I've always, I've always, I've always made comments and 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 jokes with my <laughs> students about, you know, the altos are actually the true musicians because they they're not singing the melody; they're all singing the, the something else. Yeah. And the Sopranos get so mad, and I, I I never know why, you know. And there's that joke with the basses, you know. It's like, uh, how many basses does it take to screw in a light bulb? And someone goes one five, one five, one, one, one five. five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's just those those silly things. But um, when it comes down to it, yeah, just being able to like kind of share that melody, giving other people the opportunity, yeah. and things like that. Well, you so. know, and, and there are, you know, certainly when you get into more concert literature and you're expanding the range, there are some challenges to the sopranos. They got to work the head register. They got to get mm-hmm. up there, and um, um, and so, and of course, yeah, I, um, my, my first choral teacher, a guy named George Mattis, um, who taught alongside Kirby Shaw, who was my mentor mm-hmm. in community college. And, and George said, I can tell a great arrangement by the alto line. Nice. And, and he happened to, because it goes somewhere besides filling in the harmony. And at the time he was, he was referring to, I think a Tom Fetke arrangement and he goes, look at these alto lines and, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. And trust me, you know, you try, <laughs> you try your best. Sometimes you don't have much choice. Um, and that's another thing about, about, you know, using a computerized notation and having it, the luxury of time. You know, mm-hmm. it's very rare that, you know, if we've got a, a hot Disney tune or I just got a tune from the new um, um, Dear Evan Hansen mm-hmm. um, movie, and I know they're going to want that quickly. Uh, there's there's this, this old saying of, uh, are you doing the best thing that comes to your mind or the first thing that comes to your mind? And the best thing is if you can if you can do a chart and sit back and readdress it tomorrow, next week, come back and look at it and go, is, is this the best I can do? Um, will this sing the best in most in the greatest number of situations? <laughs> nice. Now, um, you know, obviously this is an acapella uh, podcast, um, so I wanted to actually talk to you a little bit about you know how contemporary acapella has really grown. I mean, when I was a kid, it was where in the world is Carmen San Diego, you know, doo-wop groups, sure. rock acapella. Yeah. And then, you know, this, this generation, uh, this younger generation is experiencing pentatonics, right. uh, Citizen Queen, many other um, acapella Sing-offs, groups. Sing-offs, Yeah, the, the sing-off, Pitch Perfect, Pitch you know, perfect. all, of, yeah. those, all D- of those examples. Um, so I guess I'm thinking back to, you know, when I was in college, I was, you know, we had, uh, we, we sang madrigals in, in choir sometimes and, and even in high school, you know, right. so to, to go from like madrigals to the contemporary acapella scene, have you seen the, a lot of similarities between the two, uh, in terms of like maybe, uh, just, you know, chord structure and things like that. Cause obviously like pop, 
to me, pop tunes have a lot more riffing, um, sure. a lot, a lot more things kind of going on rhythmically as opposed to, you know, like, um, you know, an old, like Thomas Morley. Madrigal right. Stuff. Right. I, I mean, there, there are some similarities, obviously, SATB, Hoffman, you know, yeah. which makes middle school a, a little problematic if you're trying to do it in three parts. Um, right. And, and, and you're right. The, the idea, I think oftentimes you're going to see, uh, you know, some block harmony going on in the inner voices that you wouldn't have in a, in a contrapuntal, you know, madrigal. Um, <laughs> And that type of thing, um, I, you know. I have to be honest. I have not done a, uh, you know, because it's problematic. A lot of say three part mixed or SAB mm-hmm. acapella because realize uh, you got a bass line, you got a melody, yep. and so that gives you one part. Unless part you do an, kinda... an SSAB, which makes a little more sense because then you can fill out the harmony with those inner two parts. And I should probably do more of that. Um, you know, uh, White Winter Hymnal, of course, was sort of in the pocket, but it's parallel, but right. it seems to sing really well. Uh, of course, there are several arrangements of that, but I did a discovery version, and, uh, you know, kids dig it because it's cool, and it's a weird lyric, mm-hmm. and they think, <laughs> I don't know what they think. Uh, it is a weird lyric, yeah. yeah no, a, oh, my, my students have done that one, and yeah. they we've had... Discussions yeah. about what it means, and they all have their own different ideas yeah. about what it means. Yeah, so. I mean the, the the creators, what Fleet Foxes, they say it doesn't mean anything, but who knows? You know, I right, yeah, yeah. Could, could be very dastardly for all we know. And I think be, that's yeah. part of the appeal is that you know they don't know what mm-hmm. it means. But um, you know, there are some. I, I think I uh, there are some things that work pretty well. I know the pentatonic Silent Night sings mm-hmm. pretty well. Uh, you know, for for uh, middle school, and the other thing that that course, the publisher encouraged us to do, and it makes some sense, and that is to provide sort of an underlying keyboard part that sort mm-hmm. of fills out the other parts. You know, right? I I think we I want to be careful about going. Well, it's not a cappella. You know, yeah. do whatever it takes to create the the best musical experience you can for your kids, and if it means mm-hmm. shadowing parts in the keys, do it. Uh, I don't yeah. know. I, sometimes I don't know. I guess it's choral elitism, you know. Mm-hmm. At, at a, well, what would my mentor say, or what will the teacher and <laughs> the what will the high school director say if I, you know? And you got to get right. over that, you know. Do what's best for your kids. Kids first. Yeah. If anything, you know, you're, you're focusing on harmonies that they're able to, yeah, able to maintain. And you know, if there's a part like I know that my my students in middle school, if I gave them uh, a pentatonics arrangement, even if it was, you know, whittled down to an SAB, like the baritone line is still going to be fairly yeah. low. Like, I mean, yeah. you're talking about a true bass singing in that well, group, and, you know, oh, so yeah. 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 And you just An extraordinary can't, bass. <laughs> oh yeah. And you just can't get him to, you know, get down there. So, yeah. um, I'm actually looking right now, uh, you actually just put out something this year called acapella in three parts. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. so, uh, I, I was curious if you could talk a little bit about well, that. Yeah, thank well, thank you, I, and I didn't mm. even have to pay you. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the fact is, is that it, it, it is. Um, I mean, for for the past couple of decades, I've tried to do an entry level acapella piece. Now, this collection is I call it a concert collection. 
mm-hmm. um, because it's that there are more concert kinds of pieces like Good Timber Grows, uh, Time Gone. But I also just did, uh, there was a real popular holiday piece, Christmas piece called Innkeeper from a mm-hmm. musical called December in Our Town that I did years ago. And so I did an acapella setting of that. And it really, I think it works really well. Because mm-hmm. again, when I'm doing them, I'm thinking Rob Dietz and Ben Bram and, and Pentatonics. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you sort of create a similar kind of thing? And then I put the Star Spangled Banner in there because it's a, a nice, easy acapella thing. And I think I've got Now is the Month of May in there yep. for a madrigal. So it's, um, and I, I just, I, I dig acapella singing. I think it's really good for singers, even if it, even if it falls a little short or you've got to mm-hmm. shadow some parts. Um, and I'm just glad that Hal Leonard went along with, with um, putting it together. What's neat about it is... Um, um, we have uh, part predominant practice tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, Carrie Marsh and Julia Dollison, if you know, those of you in the vocal jazz world know know them, they did all the recordings on it, and they nice. sound they sound really good. It's just a it's just a duet multi track, but mm-hmm. it's it's really good. It's really musical. It's really accurate. And then they provided the practice parts, which I think uh, you know you want kids to read. By the same token, I'm a realist. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. so. I think if anything, too, you know, if the fact that you have the Star Spangled Banner on there, you know, is um, I can't tell you how many times uh, how students are asked to, you know, perform the national anthem at sporting events for yeah. the school or even perform the national anthem prior to the concert instead of the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever right. that may be. So to have something accessible for them, that's not just them singing the the melody um, that could really that, that could be an opener, if yeah. anything, for, for yeah. concerts, you know? And so to have to have the ability for students to be able to perform a three-part well, arrangement, it's just, you know, it's, it's just, I think it's important. You know, what's funny is that, uh, quite frankly, it started off, a com- I've got an accompanied version that's almost identical. And a friend mm-hmm. of mine, choral director friend of mine, Eric Richardson there in Ohio said, you know, Roger, that works a cappella. <laughs> so I looked at it and go, oh, it does. Thanks, nice. Eric. Thanks, Eric. Gave me a good idea. <laughs> you know, you never stop learning. Yeah. So um, in, in your own, from your own perspective, how do you think um, acapella, you know, regardless whether it's contemporary ah. or even, you know, just how do you think it's had an impact Pivotal. on choral programs? Pivotal. Pivotal. Yeah. I mean, I realize we go back to, I mean, things, Broadway, Wicked, High School mm-hmm. Musical. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, all these things have have made singing cool, and then uh, you know, all the acapella stuff. Uh, it just is is sort of a cool, particularly at the high school level. You know, again, middle school, you got to sort of <laughs> go with it, but particularly at the high school level, uh, I I think it's been fabulous. And and again, I don't want to um, I, I don't want people to think that I don't enjoy great concert literature. You know, I'm a big Morton Lardson fan, you know, mm-hmm. and I, and Eric Whitaker and, uh, you know, um, but you, you gotta hook them, particularly in middle school, make, mm-hmm. make them feel, you know, cause it, for all of us, if you think about it, when did you get hooked and what did it feel like to sing right. or to hear a triad for the first time and go, wow, how cool that is. I want to do that again. And, and so I, no, I, I think, I think acapella is, is, the contemporary acapella movement is just terrific. And again, a pentatonics, if you were to pick out one group that has nailed it, you know, they're, um, uh, is it Laura Farnell, I think, that had a couple of, of pentatonics in her middle school program in oh, Texas. Wow. I oh, love, yeah. I love her literature, too. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I usually... 
pick a Laura Farnell piece, yeah. you know, every year. Well, she so. gets it. She really gets it. And mm-hmm. and the fact is, those are all really good instruments, you know, in pentatonics. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting back to maybe what we should do, because, uh, you know, the soprano part doesn't go very high. It's almost like a high tenor. We probably should mm-hmm. just pop those things up a step. Well, you could do it a cappella. You realize you could learn, you know, if you go, well, gee, my basses can't get down, pop it up a minor third, and it would, you know, depending upon where the other parts lie, mm-hmm. it would probably work for you. Um, so, you know, with the digit, nice thing about digital as as it rolls out, because, you know, there's this legal thing about I need permission to transpose. It's sort of stupid, but <laughs> quite frankly, you bought the piece, do, and, and of course, you can you can do anything if you do it by rote. You just can't write right. it down. But I think uh, the, the reality is that now, as as we become more digitally oriented, and, and uh, you're going to be able to do things in whatever key you want. So it'll help, really help. Mm-hmm. Now, um, you have had a career that has spanned, as you said, you know, many, many years um, between teaching and composing and arranging. Uh, is there one particular moment that stands out the most as your most uh, enjoyable moment or maybe most unenjoyable moment. I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just curious. I know that's a weird question to ask. I mean, I'm in, I'm in my 13th year of teaching, you know, and yeah, you've got um, some I, already, I, I bet. I have plenty. Yeah, yeah. I have plenty. Especially this past year and a half, this past year and a half, I have a oh, book. Listen, <laughs> but, I, I have just ached, ached for, for um, educators this, this past year and a half. I just, it's just a horse case scenario because it's all about building relationships and it's so hard to build relationships long distance, uh, much less sing, you know? Right. Um, but you know, first of all, I loved it. I would teach again in a heartbeat. In fact, in our local mm-hmm. middle school, if, if so-and-so leaves, I'm, I'm there a couple of days a week. I'm, I'm ready. Um, nice. cause I really dug it. Uh, you know, um, there's one, something about teaching and that is, uh, um, I would tell my students when I was teaching community college, and many of them either went on to be music teachers or or wanted to, and I said, um, keep this in mind. You will get tired. You will get frustrated, but you'll never feel like your life didn't matter. Mm. And and I just don't think there's anything that replaces that that feeling like you are really important in these kids' lives. So, uh, so again, for me, um, you know, the, my second... Seven, seven years of teaching middle school, I had some really good groups. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, that first five years, you're just sort of flailing, you know. <laughs> you're cheerleading, yeah. at least I was. Yep. Um, I didn't have the, the greatest, uh, you know, um, college experience. Well, it just didn't prepare me. I don't think it prepares much, most people. And so uh, once I got my sea legs a second time around, uh, first of all, I taught my kids to read music. Not, not much, you know, it's been 10 minutes a day, but You'd be surprised, you know, if a third of them get it, think of your section leaders. Right. You know, so anyway, uh, they just got better and better. And we just put on some great concerts. I, I had this sort of pivotal moment, and this is happening with some teachers these days. Um, uh, we, the high school director and I had volunteered a year at a local middle school because the program sucked, quite frankly, so we went in. And, and so then I got it the next year and was expecting the same number of kids, you know, 50, 60 kids, 7th and 8th grade. Mm-hmm. I go, well, yeah, because there is there is safety in numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they decided to institute a whole, uh, um, a whole group of electives opposite choir. Yep. And so I had 17 kids. Yeah, and, I know that feeling. And yeah. I went, uh, you know, 
I got to, I've got to be honest. The first thing that came to my mind, because I'm a guitarist, I go, maybe I should turn this into a guitar class, <laughs> you know, because mm. they could sing and play, you know. But then I realized those 17 wanted to be there and sing more than anything else. They deserved right. my best. And right. so I had all these plans. We were going to do a tour. Uh, uh, the principal had agreed to buy uniforms for them, you know, vests and, and cummerbunds and ties and that kind of stuff. And... Um, uh, I, I said to myself, we're going to move, we're moving full speed ahead. We're going to do exactly what I planned. Well, you know, exactly what happened. Second quarter, 34, you know, yep. third quarter, 50, <laughs> fourth quarter, 60 kids, because that elective thing got old, you know, it was sort of not well thought out anyway. Uh, but, mm. but that was, that was a win. That was a win year to, nice. to sort of have the vision and go, Gosh darn it, we're we're moving ahead, and you know, one's a solo, two's a duet, three's a trio, four's a quartet. Uh, you know, I see people that go, "I've got four kids in choir." Well, sing, right. even if it's all unison, you know, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and and go from there. So uh, the the worst moment, um, I had a I had a situation with an with um, this is my in my first I think my fourth year of teaching. Uh, I had a a young lady come down from the high school to accompany my choir. I didn't have an accompanist. And mm-hmm. I said, I will pay you out of the uh, gate receipts from our concerts. Not mm-hmm. thinking anything of it. Well, it came time for her to be paid. It was 500 bucks for the semester or whatever. And right. uh, the superintendent thought I needed a, my wings trimmed and said, only the board can hire and fire. You're going to have to pay oh, that wow. yourself. Now I realized I was making about 500 bucks a month at the time. Uh, <laughs> I went ahead and wrote her a check. Oh, there was a big uproar. I mean, we're a small town. Headlines in the newspaper, public rallies behind Emerson that... Parents got together and paid me back, but it, it was just that sort of slap in the face of, do, do you not appreciate what the hell I'm trying to do here? Right. Or even what your accompanist came in to do and yeah. all the, like the time and effort that they, Absol- they put absolutely. into Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, okay. I, I, you know, procedurally, I mean, I didn't, I didn't realize that. It certainly was a, uh, an error of, of omission, not commission. Slap my mm-hmm. hand, say, don't do it again and be done with it. Uh, you know, probably caught super on a bad day. Who knows? Mm. You know, because that kind of thing happens. But the next year I left and went to work uh, for Jensen Publications and then came came back. <laughs> Long story. But I became their first director of Coral Publications for four months in Milwaukee. So I moved from California, Northern California to Milwaukee. You know, born and raised oh. in California. What what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> Actually, Milwaukee is a lovely place. I lived in Waukesha. And I learned a lot in those four months from uh, John Higgins and Art Jensen. And, and I learned a lot about publishing, which is, you know, um, every situation you can learn something and quite mm-hmm. frankly, it has really helped me see the business side of, of the publishing thing, uh, it, which has just been helpful. But anyway, I, I laid in bed one night. I said, dear God, if you can get me back to Mount Shasta in California, I'm ready to go. I got a phone call the next day. The, <laughs> the high school director had quit mid-year. Oh, wow. And a parent called me and said, Roger, if you want the job, call Bill Freeman, the principal. <laughs> so nice. I called and I said, yeah, I'd like the gig. And I, uh, I gave notice and came back December 1st. So, um, And I taught high school for a number of years then. So it was cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Now, um, I wanted to ask you, because you actually just mentioned it, um, in terms of, you know, you went and worked in, you know, the publishing industry and you, and you, you work in the publishing industry now. And I'm curious, you know, now that there's websites like Sheet Music Plus, and right. Arrange Me, right. and things like that, um, in, you know, in terms of, 
you know, royalties and, and rights and <laughs> obtaining rights. It's, it's to me like copyright is a very gray area nowadays. And I'm, I, I would love to pick you in. Uh, I'm sure, just curious, sure. you know, if you could just give kind of a brief uh, idea of, you know, what the process for, you know, what you have to do in terms of absolutely. arranging something. Um, well, you're right. It is a, it is a, there are some areas in which even attorneys disagree, and it will ultimately take litigation to resolve some of them. Um, generally speaking, copyright law has not kept up with changing times, and so that's part of the problem. The other one, of course, the pandemic just exacerbated that uh, with um, um, the uh, uh, virtual choir thing and what constitutes a sync right. Uh, right. But 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 in it, its in its uh, sort of base form, and I'll, I'll talk, you know, about all of it. But the fact is, is that you always want to operate from the position of you want the people who contributed to be compensated. That means mm-hmm. uh, the copyright holder, which may or may not be the print publisher. For instance, right. Hal Leonard is a print publisher for Sony and Universal. Alfred is a print publisher for Warner Brothers, etc. Uh, so you want to make sure those people and the writers are compensated in one way, shape, or form. Um, but what's really happening these days is that, uh, and that goes for, you know, I bought one copy. The bottom line is, don't photocopy. Yeah. <laughs> don't. Pho- that's, right. that's the single biggest infraction, and they estimate that we lose 50% of royalties via photocopying. Uh, I think I think actually most people want to do the right thing, and I think most people are now aware of that. But, um, you know, there are some places, some situations which you can. If you've ordered the music and it's back-ordered, you can duplicate copies and then destroy them when, you know, that's legal, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, be real cautious of going, well, fair use will cover this. Uh-uh. Fair use is for educational settings. It's a select number of measures. Don't ever mm-hmm. use that. It just It just isn't doesn't work. So anyway, uh, what's, what's sort of neat though, these days, sheet music plus and note flight have, Mm -hmm. well, uh, they're both owned by Hal Leonard. Right. And so sheet music plus has what's called arrange me, which is a, Mm -hmm. a a list of several hundred thousand pre-approved songs that you can arrange for all, but competitive show choir. And I think Maybe competitive marching band thing. It's they're they're broadening as it goes, but basically you go to the website, you type in a title. If it's available, it gives you copyright information. You do your arrangement. You put the copyright information at the bottom. You upload it. You're supposed to buy your copies. Mm. <laughs> There's no fee, but the fact is, mm-hmm. in order for it to be legal, you got to have paid for those copies. So you can price them, you know, at two bucks a copy for a coral, and and then you're thir- you, but you should pay sixty bucks if you do thirty copies of that. Not just go. Right. Well, other people can pay that, and I'll just uh, do my own arrangements. It doesn't work. But um, w- what I said to Larry Morton, who's the CEO of Hal Leonard, this is six or seven years ago, and I have I should ask him, but I did say to him, and I think maybe I I. You know, part of the impetus for this pre-approved list, as I said, become the Harry Fox of print. Mm-hmm. Harry Fox, for those of you who deal with recordings, those are the me- mechanical rights. When you record something, there's a statutory mechanical rate that is administered by the Harry Fox agency. So mm-hmm. it's 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 set, it's law. Uh, you know, basically, I think it's maybe 12 cents a song now, and you can do a CD. I think there's a minimum, though, of, you know, 25 bucks or something. Anyway, mm-hmm. I, th- I think 
as I said, people are arranging. Everybody's doing it. They've been doing it. Let's make let's make a vehicle for them to do it legally. Now, some people say, well, Roger, you're cutting into your own business. And I go, you know what? I do what I do, and the people are, you know, there's situations where you need to do your own arranging. You know, mm-hmm. it's going to happen for your specific situation. So anyway, um, yeah, uh, I think it's great for, for particularly people who want to do their own arranging. Uh, you're not going to sell gazillions. You're going to have to you're going to have to promote yourself and have a website that directs people to or to uh, Sheet Music Plus for download, those kinds of things, so social media and that kind of thing. It's mm-hmm. still hard to compete with the behemoth like uh, like uh, Hal Leonard. There, right. There's just this pervasive, we're here and... Uh, you know, J.W. Pepper has a similar kind of thing where you can, you know, upload uh, not copyrights but original works. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, self-publishing is a, a good thing. I, there, there is real value for your relationship with your students to do something that you write. Right. And pass it out. For them, it, 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 it enhances that, that relationship, that bond you have with your students. Mm-hmm. So, uh, long story short... Uh, sync rights is a whole nother aspect. Let me just say in general that sync rights has to do with putting film or video with music. It's mm-hmm. generally was designed for motion pictures, for commercials, yep. big dollars, a lot of money to, to the Beatles, to Sony, <laughs> etc. The copyright law doesn't, they don't understand a school out here that wants to do a, you know, virtual choir. However, Having said that, I ran a little test last year to try and test the system. And I went ahead and, first of all, if, you have, if, if you're going to do a virtual choir, you should try and get a sync license. Mm-hmm. What you do is go to ASCAP, A-S-C-A-P, which is American Society of Composers, Authors, Publishers. Uh, they have a, a rep- I believe it says repertoire, repertory over on the left-hand side. Type in the title. And it will pull up the copyright holder, owner, and will probably give a, a link, an email link. Mm. So, for instance, I decided I'm going to, I am going to, uh, I think I used maybe our high school director's name, Greg Eastman, because I didn't want anyone to go, well, it's Roger Emerson. Of course, we'll give him the rights to it. But I said, I want to do uh, a, a, a virtual choir of, I think it was Seize the Day, arranged by Roger Emerson. I, I have the... The Hal Leonard arrangement. I've got 30 copies of it. I would like to do, uh, uh, you know, a virtual choir. Um, and I sent an email to Disney and this particular link. I got a response in about an hour. Of, we'd be happy to accommodate you. However, here's some boilerplate. You you have no claim to the copyright. Blah 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 blah. blah. Please. And I think in their case, they said, please send us a link so that we can follow monetization on YouTube and Facebook. Because there's a whole shift going on where, realize, Facebook, YouTube are broadcasters for all intents and purposes. Right. They should be paying the content providers, which Mm -hmm. is us if we're uploading, they should be paying royalties to the copyright holders, and they are. Um, uh, you'll still get takedowns if they don't have an agreement, those kinds of things. But in this case, uh, I did I did it with uh, Seize the Day. I also did it with Shed a Little Light, uh, James Taylor. Um, I said I'm going to use the Greg Jasper's arrangement. You know, he's got a great arrangement over at Alfred. Um, they got right back to me. Said you can use it free. Uh, 
uh, just indicate this. And I think th I think they also said, please send us a link so we can monitor monetization or whatever. They they just want to make sure, <laughs> you know, because they're relying on on um, the honor system by these giant uh, broadcasters, social media right. sites, to give them royalties as they should. Right. So absolutely. Anyway, I hope that I know that's detailed, but and, and again, okay. uh, that then you get into live live streaming. Realize this: mm -hmm. if you, my understanding, and I do have some literature to support this, although there's differences of opinion, if you film or videotape your choir live, like at a concert, and mm -hmm. upload. It's considered live performance. It's covered by ASCAPs. Uh, remember that K-12 schools are generally um, um, not required to have a performance license. They, it's waived for education. Now, community colleges, colleges, they pay ASCAP fees based on their auditoriums. But K-12 mm -hmm. schools don't. But they consider that... Uh, upload of a live performance to be the same as a live performance. <laughs> right. And is therefore technically exempt. Now, you may find an attorney that says, uh-uh, or we're going to come back, we're going to take it down. You know, the reality is that in most cases, I don't think anybody's been sued. I think that YouTube will just take it down. Right. Or Facebook. You know, so there's yeah. no huge penalty. Again, you bought the music. The, the copyright holders, the creators were compensated. Um, fine line on performance. Were they compensated yeah, it, for that? Yeah, it's funky because, you know, as as a school, you know, you just want to put out what you've worked on. Yeah. You know, you're not you're not looking for monetary no. compensation. You're just you're just showcasing what you are capable of, you know. Yeah. Co colleges, you know, semi-pro groups, professional sure. groups, you know, that sure. I can kind of understand, but yeah, no, like would if you had a K5, you know, or a, a fifth grade choir singing you know, a song and, you know, is, is, you know, the hey, it's company can come back and say, it's great publicity. How dare you? Exactly. Listen, folks, it, it, it's win-win mm -hmm. for your copyright. And for me mm -hmm. as an arranger, absolutely. You know, I, I, I'd like to see all my stuff up there being done by, by groups because then other choir directors see it. Oh, that's a good arrangement. I'd like to get a hold of that. Um, so, I, I, again, I think I think it's part of, of the copyright law being murky, and I think it needs some to have some revision going down the road. Again, you know, we're uh, depending upon your school district, you may be um, – your legal counsel, you know, they realize administrators and legal counsel, they, they run scared of anything. And um, um, I don't know if I'll be quoted, but I'd rather ask forgiveness. Yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I did a presentation on contemporary acapella, hmm. gosh, I want to say about eight years ago at uh, the NISMA conference here in New York State. Nice, oh, Justin. Thanks. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I like them already. Yeah. Uh, and uh, someone in the someone actually asked a question afterwards about copyright because you know a lot of collegiate groups, mm. um, they you know a lot of them arrange their own music. Or now, nowadays, because there's a lot of arrangers for hire that I, they actually will pay for the arrangements. But you know, back you know 10, 15 years ago, a lot of the collegiate groups did their own arranging, and uh, it actually became a discussion. Uh, another colleague of ours here in New York State who does his own you know compositions, Lon Beery. Um, oh yeah, you know, I know Lon, he, great he, guy. 
Yeah, he he brought up you know what his experience was, and uh, and Sally Albrecht actually happened to be the um, uh, a representative there that year for I believe for for Hal Leonard and um, for she Alfred caught probably, wind. but yeah, uh, for or for Alfred, yeah, but she right. uh, she had she had caught caught wind of uh, my presentation and the question asked, and not gonna lie, the day after I had a full out email from Sally, you oh, know, I'm giving sure. her giving her, you know, yeah. her explanation of copyright. And, yeah. But that was also, you know, we're talking eight, nine years ago compared to today. And, you know, it's a very, that's why I know a lot of educator colleagues of mine are always wary of, you know, using an arrangement or writing an arrangement or creating an arrangement because they're not sure of what yeah, uh, you, you know, um, uh, I have I, I need to maybe do a little more research, but but they uh, on the uh, arrange me sheet music plus arrange me website, there'll be some very clear uh, guidelines on what types of groups you can use these tunes for. Now mm-hmm. realize that pre-approved list w- may not include a piece that just came out. It may be right. six months or a year down the road. So, mm-hmm. uh, but the fact is, is that of course that's why you have Trisona, you know, Trisona in the mix. And it, it really originated with, with marching bands. It was Ohio State, probably, or Michigan. And these huge custom arrangements that are being broadcast, you right. know, on, and, there's, they're, and they're making all kinds of money. And, and hence the whole Trisona thing of we were going to license this. Uh, and it gets expensive. And, uh, but the fact is, is that, um, you know, here's the deal. So think about this. So you've got an acapella group, a collegiate acapella group. They, fine line here, because Mm -hmm. if you do the arrangement and you perform it in your auditorium, the college auditorium that does pay performance fees, is it really Mm -hmm. any difference than than a rock and roll band who's playing at a bar that is licensed by ASCAP? Now, you could Mm -hmm. say, well, they don't write it down. They learn it by rote. Uh, Again, you get this murky area. But I do think you got to say, let me make every effort to get permission to do it the right way. Right. That's fair. Um, now, before we go, uh, it is the beginning of the school year for a lot of us educators out here. And uh, I'm sorry. I'm just, <laughs> no, no, it's, no a, it's a great time of year. We're excited, it. you know, back in person. Yeah. No, at least no remote learning on my end, which I'm, I'm excited for. Let's keep everything crossed. Spaces. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there any words of advice or wisdom to um, educators that you have uh, as we prepare to embark on a new school year? Um. You know, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the hardest job you'll ever love, for starters. It just is. Um, I, I'm going to say um, there will always be more to do. So, so you, you, you have to sort of self-regulate when it comes to being a teacher, or you will burn yourself out, and your family will suffer, and your body will suffer, and those kinds of things. Um, you, you just have to, to try and come up with, with balance. Um, and I'm also going to say, and, and it's not that I don't love choral music or music in general, but, you know, it's not world peace. It's not mm-hmm. Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. It isn't. It's not COVID. It is right. something we love. But it's about building relationships. You know, in the final analysis for me, and I, I love music, I love sharing music with kids, but it's what are we imparting to our kids that are going to help them navigate this world? Right. And part of that is we, we got, a, we, we got a, a heck of a year here. How did we mm-hmm. do? 
How did we do ourselves with navigating, uh, you know, a worst case scenario for music education? And um, and so I, I say keep it light, keep it upbeat, uh, keep your sense of humor, put it in perspective, real and realize that some of the kids that cause you the most problems are the ones who need you the most as mm-hmm. an educator. And that's awfully hard for a musician who just wants to make great music. But uh, I, I think it's important to, to realize that. And, uh, you know, if, if you got, if you got a mud choir, Soprano Alto Mud, they get better. And the fact is, <laughs> you just got to keep them in there. And, and it might not be till high school they get better. But they're, right. they're there for the community. They're there for their friends. Uh, they're there to have a good time. And we do it through music. So I hope that helps. Oh, it does, actually. Thank you so much. You bet. Uh, uh, Roger Emerson, thank you so much for joining me this week on My the Oscar Education Podcast. We will be right back. Hey, everyone. This is Justin from the Aka Education Podcast here to tell you about Anchor. Anchor is what I use to create these podcasts, and let me tell you, it's free. Uh, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, And the beauty of it is we'll distribute the podcast for you. So I can record on Anchor and it's going to send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all these other places as well. And I love that I can make money from this podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So be sure to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Roger really is a great guy, and I'm so happy that I had the opportunity to interview him. I I mean, I've been programming his music ever since I started teaching, so thank you again, Roger Emerson, for joining me this week. Be sure to check out the links in the episode description for resources from this week's episode. Follow the podcast on social media, at Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And follow me, Justin Glodish, at OfficialJGlow on TikTok and Twitter. If you haven't done so already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We're found on Anchor, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. New episodes released every Monday. You can also now tune into the podcast on Acaville Radio, acaville.org. If interested in supporting this podcast with a monthly donation, go over to anchor.fm slash podcast to do so. And if you ever have any questions about the podcast, suggestions on future guests, please email me at akaedpodcast at gmail.com or leave a voice message on the Anchor website. From the Aka Education Podcast, I'm Justin Glodish. We'll talk soon.